0: Hold on, Chaim. I just busted you on your own podcast. You said if Shmogurari would tell a story of somebody else's suffering, that wouldn't be right. But you just did because you told Shmogurari's story of suffering.
1: Only because I know <laughs> the story. <laughs>
2: Some remnisch and nems ich dort Chiribim bim bam, chiribim bim bim bam, chiribim bim bim bam, chiribim bim bim bam, chiribim.
1: Welcome to Extra Sauce. My name is Chaim Cohn. I hope this finds you well. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to, to catch up on, as uh, each day of this situation brings a yet a crazier reality. Uh, but I'm going to try to keep this focused right now on the interview you're about to hear. So today is June 3rd, and the interview I'm gonna play now with Rabbi Chase Taub was recorded on March 3rd. It's kind of hard to consider that that was three months ago, but somehow it is. I wanted to put this up about a week later, um, back in March, and I even scheduled a time with Rabbi Taub to record a short follow-up. Uh on Sunday, March 15th. But then on Friday, uh, two days before, just after Purim, I got hit pretty hard with, uh, well, very hard with the flu and then COVID together, which then turned into pneumonia and some other complications with the treatment along the way. And then the next seven or so weeks that followed came with a whole new set of challenges, but It's not for here or now. Uh, I mention all this because the content of this episode, this conversation, is deeply related to a lot of what I've been personally experiencing uh, throughout this period. And a lot of what I know other people have been experiencing uh, from my conversations with them and from what I've been seeing online So it's actually been a year since I started the podcast, and the truth is I had no real intention of starting a podcast. It came about sort of on a whim, but specifically it started because of my preoccupation with storytelling. In the episode you'll hear now, we talk about storytelling, not just as a topic, but as it relates to many aspects of life and really life itself. I'm going to resist the urge to go into it, and just let it play. And then I'm going to record kind of a postscript after this episode that will include some reflections and thoughts on on what we talk about here and how it relates to my experiences um, in the last three months. So here is my conversation with Rabbi Taub and talk to you soon. You live in the Five Towns. I recently moved to the Five Towns, but even before that, I started noticing this uh, this trend of these bumper stickers "Thank you Hashem," and they often accompany some memes that uh, I find really disturbing, to say the least. And I I made a whole series of cynical little parody, parody. bumper stickers. Yep. Well, I didn't <laughs> I didn't go that far, but I I put up some Instagram videos of something to the effect of oh my God, my aunt had cancer and everything is the worst. But then it turns out she left me 50 grand. So thank you, Hashem. And and on the face of it, the story you shared has that kind of element to it. And I don't <laughs> think that's why you shared <laughs> it. But, oh, glad that all worked out for you. Right. And, and many, many things. And I, I've talked to a lot of people who kind of share this frustration. And oftentimes... Religion, particularly when it comes to trying to inspire the masses, have that element of, you know, things are really going to work out for you if you do this, just follow this, and it's going to pay off in one way or another. And it's really yucky on, on multiple levels, besides for the, just the obvious fallacies of like, yay, that guy survived coronavirus. Too bad for those other six people in Seattle that didn't make it, but thank mm-hmm. you, Hashem.
0: A couple of weeks ago, I was, i was. it doesn't matter, I was in a city somewhere on this planet. And I was speaking somewhere. And um, at the end of, I don't know how long I was supposed to speak, but, uh, you know, I spoke for as long as I felt that they were expecting me to. And then I stopped. And then the rabbi, whose shul it was, says, Okay, Rabbi Tal. okay, one more story. Just give us... A Gvaldicus story, just your favorite story, your, your story that you feel just blows everybody away. And uh, I didn't like that request because I knew exactly what he wanted. And I knew how easy it would be to fulfill that request. And I didn't want to be part of that. Um, in other words, he didn't even care if the story was real. He didn't even care if it was blatantly fabricated, and so I said, "You know, basically, you want some drama, and there's a certain formula that we know. It's a genre of stories. It's called a hashkocha prat story, with you know, it's it's basically there's a formula with a twist, and you know, the the classic, you know, when I." This is what I said to them. I said, yeah, you know, it's a story about the guy broke his leg and he missed his flight and then the plane blew up. Hooray. You know, forget about the 300 people who blew up, but he didn't get on the plane. Oh, it was really good for him. Hooray. Wow. Pssh, pssh, right? Amazing. Hooray. TYH. Right. What
1: did he say? TYH.
0: What's TYH? Thank you, Hashem. Oh. We, we just oh, oh, in short form at this point. Uh, okay. So I said, you know what? I, I don't like those stories. I said uh they're heretical, aside from the fact that they are um they're very um what, uh, what's the word um cliche you know the formula itself is cliche uh, I have a friend who described it as bursting through an open door. <laughs> he says he hates that genre of story, you know the clearly made up quote unquote hashkoha prata stories. He says, "There's no dramatic build-up. It, it, it's a third of the way into the story, you know exactly what's going to happen." He says, "It's like bursting through an open door." <laughs> That's how he describes it.
1: The most painful part is they often find it necessary to give every possible detail of it, as like just get to the point. <laughs> we know where this is. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. 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 With all types of embellishments. Yeah. Uh, because it makes it better, right? Because if the story takes 45 minutes to tell, then it's more dramatic. Yeah. So, but I, I said, but it's heretical. Why is it heretical? Because it implies, not more. Not implies, it clearly states that this is Hashkocha Pratis. Do we translate the Hebrew words on this podcast?
1: It could, but it <laughs> realize it ends up, pretty much doing being a podcast, you know, by us, for us kind of thing. But yeah, divine providence, is that the going definition, or is this probably a better one?
0: Well, divine providence is a good, uh, effective uh, translation. Uh, But I would say... um, Revealing God's presence in our lives? More than the presence, but that God orchestrates every detail, everything is measured, everything is by design. So when you imply that it's some, you know, corny... Oh, and then they looked and she had the other half of the locket and they reunited the family that they thought was lost in the war. Right. That's Hashgachah Only that? Only that? If you believe in Hashgachah then you have to believe that everything, and by the way, I'm not getting Hasidic over here. This is not, you know, this, this is this is straight from the Talmud. Keshem Shechayiv, Lavorech al Just like someone has to, Gemorim Brochas. Just like you have to thank God for what is obviously good. And uh, I won't finish the rest because the Alter Reb and Tanya doesn't finish the rest because he doesn't like to say things that are negative. But uh, yeah, so too you're supposed to be thankful for the stuff that is fill in the blank, the opposite of obviously good and until there's that level of equanimity then don't call the gratitude for things working out faith in divine providence it's not faith in divine providence it's called liking something that's that's easy to like everyone likes things that are easy to like it was pleasurable it was it was an it was a it was an easy experience you had a direct and obvious benefit right so what's not to be happy about? It's a non-story. It's a non-story. So I do want
1: to get to the theme of fake true stories and, and true fake stories, if you will. But th- before we get there, uh, there is a story that is one of the most true stories on this theme. Yeah. It was a Hasid Gurari, I don't know the first name, who was in the business as Gurari are. Uh, in Russia, and they, he was meeting together with some other chesidim, it's a famous story. Oh, Shmulgarar, you, yeah. Shmulgarar, right? And they were each bragging about the miracle stories of each of their Rebbes, and they went around the table, and they each shared some miraculous story of things, you know, being on the brink of destruction, and then at the last second, the Rebbe's bracha came through, and then he said, you know, I have uh, quite a nice miracle story of my own. What was that? I went to the Rebbe for a suggestion and a bracha, about a business uh, transaction with a lot on the line, and uh, the rabbi gave a bracha to go ahead with it. It all went to pot, so they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. it's the end of the speech, and you're leaving them hanging, and they got to know that they should go home and and continue doing the whole, you know, Yiddish kite deal, and you're kind of leaving them." Out. And then he said, "Yes, yeah, so what? Uh, what? What's the miracle? Well, the miracles. I'm still as hmm So
0: that
1: that that." That would be the story. What people like, kind of get offended sometimes by my cynicism around the stuff. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a non-believer. Although that kind of stuff does kind of want me to, you know, join like a Sam Harris uh, thought club. But I'm like, I'm not a. I'm, I i am not I do believe. I believe. I have to believe if I'm going to be any part of this thing, that it's all good because otherwise I'm engaging in like a really besides for the fact that it's it's non-consistent and 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 uh and foolish it's it's downright evil because what I'm saying is so long as it kind of works out okay for me at the end or I can see how it works out then when it doesn't it's just kind of it's okay
0: well, what did, what does did Shmogarari mean that it was a miracle from his Rebbe? no no so the sorry the, that's how he presented it. He presented it as a miracle from his Rebbe.
1: Well, maybe that's in, in, con, in context of how they were sharing a miracle of the Rebbe, but I think the point he was making is that the real miracle is me. The, the stories, and there's an expression that the real stories, the real Hasidic stories are about Hasidim, not about rebbe's.
0: That's yeah. true too, and he's definitely a big part of the story, but I think in the context he was telling them he was contributing what they wanted. They wanted stories of miracles from their Rebbe's, and he also told a miracle from his rabbi. How so? How so? Because where did he get the ability to deal with that kind of disappointment and to see the goodness in it? He was saying that that was a miracle from his rabbi. that his rabbi was able to teach him to guide him to have that kind of perspective in life. You know, the the expression, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. This applies to education. You know, let's say you, you fix a problem for your kid, you fixed it once. You teach them how to reframe adversity and to, you know, maybe even if they can't fix the problem, but they can just reframe it in a way where they can take it in stride and not let it, not let it bother them. So, but what's a bigger gift? To solve one problem for somebody or to give them a perspective where they uh, aren't undermined by problems? So, you know, what's a bigger miracle? That a came in and he, and he saved you from, uh, from one situation? Or that he taught you how to think in such a way where you are effectively saved from all quote unquote negative situations. And that, that is one
1: of the that is a function of what a Rebbe does for us.
0: Uh, what, uh, well he was making the point, you know, the context there was a little bit of a you know, culturally they were from different Hasidic groups where they defined the role of a Rebbe differently. Mm-hmm. I mean this goes back to the very first yeah. generation uh of you know when when things broke off, or or different dynasties emerged or diverged from uh, from the Maggid, there were different approaches. And from the very beginning, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, the one who started Chabad, he understood the role of a Rebbe differently. That it was uh, to give tools, but not to uh, not to do the work for you, not to rob you of your own uh, agency. So he was telling a quintessentially Chabad story. That Basically, what he was saying is, my Rebbe made a mench out of me. I'm the kind of guy who can experience loss and doesn't faze me. You know, what are you able to put up with? As long as you're done, but make sure that everything turns out the way you wanted it to, uh, then you have faith. <laughs> so, I've done a, quite
1: a good number of these podcasts, and there seems to be a few overwhelming themes that it keeps coming back to. And we touched on two of them. One, th- this Hashgah Pratis. You know that's
0: you then. If every I time guess you so. talk to different people, yeah. two themes keep emerging, and you know that's coming from you. Yeah. Okay, what are they?
1: So, one is this theme that you you, you kind of. Re-
0: no, not me. It's you. <laughs>
1: yeah. This, we were talking about Purim in the beginning. What I thought was the most awful turns out to be exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. kind That's of works. Theme. That's one of your themes. That has been a theme, both in the macro, in the way we were just talking about, like world events, mm-hmm. or something significant that is happening to me, but perhaps I don't really know what's good for me. And Sometimes that becomes very apparent later, or very soon after, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I just have to go with the faith, and mm-hmm. maybe, if necessary, use other reference points mm-hmm. as a reminder that 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 is the case but then even when it clearly doesn't it doesn't rattle my my cage cuz we don't know anything cuz yeah it's like when those archaeologists find evidence that there was a david amelech and there was a base of people get very very excited and i'm like I, I don't know if i believe or not but i definitely if i do it's definitely not because of that <laughs> because okay what if they, then they find out it it's completely bogus all right everything falls apart but so that but but that aside the, where it really hits home is in the in the personal realm cuz i've i've experienced that what it's like to you often phrase it and hear it all the time in in the field of recovery, that the worst day of my life became the best day of my life. Yeah, someone who I know stopped me on the street uh, a few months ago and said, "What, like, what the hell happened to you?" Uh, you know, because we were close some years ago and they knew me one way, and then clearly something was different. And I get that quite a bit, and then I'll say something to the effect of, "I." Ah, Stop. I cut off sugar uh, or whatever. I'll make some, you know, uh, not to get into a whole thing. But I know this person fairly, fairly well. And after trying one or two of those, it just wasn't taking. So I just finally said uh, I came close enough to dying that I was forced to find out who I am. So that's kind of been one theme. That's and one theme. That's one theme. What uh, you
0: think is bad is really good. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I know that's uh it's a weird thing because when it when we get into anything outside of ourselves, first of all, that becomes a very a, a cruel business, but or a cruel sounding business, or anyway, but that.
0: Oh no 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 uh, no we, no! We no, no. I know we never, never never never
1: apply it to anyone else. But even outside of that, when it gets into anything. Okay, here's why I wanted to get to something else, but here this has been kind of consistently on my mind. So we just did this podcast with Menachem, which is part of the podcast that I work with Menachem on, called Consciously, and we 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 just completed our first season together, which was eight episodes taken from a theme, a book really that Menachem is working on, which is loosely based on another book called "Bulvavi Mishkan Evna, which is a lot of themes about creating a conscious contact with God. And part of that process is coming to an appreciation of of, uh, everything being just right. And in, in context of one of those podcasts that we did, we kept coming back to a place of seeing how everything is not just how it's supposed to be, but really for my ultimate good. And obviously I, I take no issue with that. But what where it became a struggle was when it went to the, to the next point of my appreciation of my newfound conscious contact with God getting in the way of what feels like, anyway, my empathizing and almost alliance with the suffering around me. It kind of, oftentimes you hear that complaint about religious people is that they're kind of willfully blind to suffering around them. And that has consistently been an obstacle in my desire to, to repair and build a relationship with God because I consistently get those uh, intrusive thoughts of, okay, you're now joining that club. You are on the other side of that. You are on the side of the people. Mm-hmm. And and in the, in the podcast, we're talking about how the, the codependent element of that. Like I've gone through an experience where I can now build that kind of relationship, but I'm, I can't do that. I don't have permission to do that because the guy next to me is suffering. So where I'm going with this is I, I'm a Lubavitcher. And especially more so recently, I, I keep going back to a lot of the sikhahs and really videos a lot that that I grew up with. And there's a few that's been kind of, not. I wouldn't say haunting me in a negative way, but I think this is actually this week, one of the cichas, the the sicha the Rebbe was talking about Mrs. Lapine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a pretty radical sicha, But the theme is that even after I come to this whole Faith-based appreciation of everything being exactly how it's supposed to be and good. I have to. I have a responsibility as a human being to to take issue with that when when it's when it's clearly not right.
0: Yeah. If
1: from a human perspective, I meaning and and what always inspired me most is that if anyone appreciates the behind-the-scenes, or has any insight, it would be the Rebbe. Mm-hmm. And he never allowed that to get in the way of his empathizing, and, and more than empathizing, but downright like... Objecting. Objecting to, and I, I wish I could play it, and maybe I can add it after, but there's another sucha, which is from way earlier, where the Rebbe really speaks even more radically about how, that it's actually incumbent on the Jew to kind of take God to task when that those don't match.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: how to reconcile those and yet, two?
0: this is the same Rebbe who said, in the name of the Rebbe, Rebbe Marash, who said in the name of the Altar Rebbe, that means that because they have Das kotzer they don't have Hachovas das; they have klein Dekait, that's why that's why t'sarh That if they would have a more broad outlook they would realize everything they need they already have and whatever they don't have they don't need so how do you reconcile with the same rabbi who says look if you would just expand your mind you would be totally content with reality exactly it is right as it is right now and that's the same rabbi who's saying that when you see injustice, when you see suffering, you have to you have to cry out. And even to, to ask Hashem, like Avram Avinu, what kind of justice is this? How do you reconcile the two? You're asking me? Yeah, why not? You thought about it a lot. I know what I think. I want to find out what you think.
1: So I have a few thoughts and processes, but usually I stop. I don't. I don't reconcile. Mm. Ultimately, you got to reconcile it because. Oh, no, no, no. What I mean is, my reconciliation is my non-reconciliation, meaning to say that I. You got to know how. It okay, works. okay. W- without getting heady, let me just give this story. I don't know. The, the, my favorite. My favorite. My favorite. Uh, um, my go-to. Reference for, for this theme is Ellie Wiesel's true, but fictional play, God right. on Trial, right. the Trial the, of God, right? The Minka Punchline, right? So just See what to, I did for people, there? yes, I
0: undercut the ability to tell it dramatically.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm not going to do the drama, but just in case people don't know, so the, the, the originally the way it was written is. Officially, it's loosely based on his own observation something in Auschwitz actually saw, you know. yeah, something he actually saw. Uh, but he wrote it, okay, it doesn't matter. They, Jews in a concentration camp, or post pogrom in some you know 1692, it doesn't make a difference, uh, see this destruction around them and, uh, and they, they just kind of had it up to here. and so they get together and said, "We're putting God on trial, and they do. And there's uh, there's a defense, and then there's a prosecution, and they really put everything out there. I mean, this is like just beautifully written, um, and and the, and it's a, and it, it's a strong case on both ends. But ultimately, they find God guilty, and they're like, "All right, what? Uh, so so what do we do now?" And then they said, "Ah, I guess uh, it's time to daven mirv or mincha. It's getting late. Let's in mincha." So. So, so that's generally my, you know, well,
0: but that, it all comes that's, back that's, there. That's, that's not really a resolution of this conflict. That, that's a separate issue. That's saying, even if I'm angry at God, what does it have to do with the fact that I'm still in a relationship? Right. So be, that's the emotional because, aspect of it. Right. Just because I'm upset with some of the things he's doing right. doesn't mean I'm not going to do what I have to do for him. Right. But that's, that's a separate issue. I'm asking how how can we distinguish between the pain that we're supposed to accept and embrace and, mm-hmm. and embrace and the pain that we're supposed to object to and say, how can something like this exist in God's world? right? and And, and we're, we've already established, that if it's happening to me, I can accept it. If it's happening to somebody else, I can't. Okay, fine. Why? Do they operate differently? Are there different mechanics? So the
1: the cynic in me says, well, if you if you're being logical, putting putting aside the sensitivities, if you're being logical, if you discovered any reason why this apparent injustice happened to you and you're Seeing the the meaning in it, then why the heck not extend that to the people around you? Again, it may not be, it may be cruel, insensitive, but the logic would so suggest if it's everyone, if there's a saying, thousand people who have found the meaning in their own in, right. in their own suffering. Then I guess that's the
0: deal for everyone. So, you, so you're saying similar to the Machleikas Rambam and the Ramban about Kishuf. you know about this? The, Ram, the Rambam says that it's Sh'tos. That's why you shouldn't do the oivy and all that stuff. Because it's does The Ramban says, no, tack, it works. But you're not allowed to do it. Right. So but really, what's, but if it's good for me, really, it is good for everybody else. Ah, but come on, be sensitive. Right.
1: So that's what you're saying. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying that, first of all, if you want to for just... Now, you you, it, you said logic and not emotion, so I'm taking yeah. you to a logical okay. conclusion. And and part of that logical conclusion is says, LMI, you don't really believe if you if you're not ready to take it to to a, to its logical conclusion and extend right. it objectively, then you don't really believe that that it's meaningful and and ultimately good or even good or more so good in and of itself. LMI, you rather, you, you just are forced because there's a human need to turn lemon into lemonade. And you get cancer and you find out, you figure out a way, because to live with the <laughs> the mm-hmm. the the doom of that would be too much. So we find all these defense mechanisms and way to kind of feel better about it in retrospect and all that stuff. And we don't. I mean, really, we, anybody who deals with any suffering uh, will never say, okay, supposing you had an opportunity to get rid of this cancer that you found all this meaning in. You're not going to take it? Of course you'll take it. I mean, they're doing the chemo. They're doing everything. L-M-I, they're, okay, Okay.
0: wait. you got to slow down here. There's a difference between saying that I'm trying to fix a problem and saying I wish that I had never had it all along. Right. So going forward from here what's within my power to change. That's one thing. And then there is wishing yes. retroactively to never have had the problem.
1: And that actually is it precisely where my resolution lies. So I'm going to give another story because that's just really how I understand things. I think it was the Alter Rebbe, may have been the Friedrich Rebbe, but either way who said, I would have given I would have given up anything in the world to not have to be in jail for, for a minute or an hour or a day, whatever he said. But then now that I'm out, I wouldn't give up, I wouldn't give anything in the world to, to not have one of those days in prison. So what what's going on here, right? So there is an objective standard of what is good and what isn't good. And that's that's real. And as human beings, we we have to respect that and, and acknowledge that. But then something happens once it happens that shifts it, meaning it goes from an objective to the subjective, and and that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't have the right to extend that outside of myself, because the whole process of resolution is inherent only to in the subjective. The, for for Rabbi Garari, Shmuel Garari to offer up someone else's business failing as a miracle w- w- would not really be true because he he didn't, he didn't experience that. Yeah, but
0: you did. You just told me Shmul story and it didn't happen to you. So you told me he wouldn't have a right to right. tell the story no, if no. it happened to someone else. Hold on, Chaim, I just busted you on your own podcast. You said a Shmul would tell a story of somebody else's suffering that wouldn't be right. But you just did, because you told Shmulgarari's story of suffering.
1: Only because I know the story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter, just because you know it doesn't mean you should tell it. Well, now you have to justify why it's okay to tell it. Now, I know that it's okay to tell the story, but I'm asking why. It didn't happen to you, so why is it okay to tell it?
1: I, I, <laughs> I, I, I do think because we all have a Shmulgarari story. Ah, uh, and 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 that is what allows us to kind of take those stories and make them our own and it's it's almost like you have to have been a holocaust survivor to make it well, you don't, but you know um you gotta you gotta be black to make a racist joke right you, there, the insensitivity comes from
0: there are you can go back to that sentence you didn't want to finish. I don't know how you how you were going to finish it, but there are certain things that only a holocaust survivor can say mm-hmm you know i i had a teacher who was a holocaust survivor and he used to say that he that it gave him it strengthened his faith right okay, i would never say that right i wasn't in the holocaust i would never say that i can't say it i can't even stomach thinking it but he said it cuz he he was in auschwitz right so he could say it not just he's allowed to only it's not just it's impolite to say it if you weren't there you can't say it if you weren't there. Because that experience wasn't given to me. That experience wasn't delivered to my life. So my only response can be to, uh, to, to, uh, to be horrified by it. There's an expression a chazal have for accepting your suffering. They call it, Le-Kabal Yesudim what, it be, what does it mean to be macabre something? Imagine that uh, UPS comes and they bring a, a, a box from uh, Amazon and uh, they bring it to your door and uh, you see that it has your, your, your neighbor's address on it. But the UPS guy brought it to your house. You messed up. Would anybody say, well, not my problem. I'm not a porch pirate. It's not like I went and I stole it from his house. UPS put it on my porch. He gave it to me. So it's mine. Nobody would say that. It's not yours. You're not allowed to open it. The Same thing with Yesurim. You can only be macabre that which was sent to you. So I can't accept your suffering on your behalf. I can only accept my suffering. So if something was sent to me, then I have not only the right but the obligation to accept it because it wasn't just sent to me, it was sent for me. And it was sent to teach me and it was sent to strengthen me and it's for sure good for me. But your suffering doesn't benefit me in any way. It doesn't make me spiritually stronger to accept your suffering. It makes me spiritually weaker to accept your suffering. So it could be the same exact thing. And depending on who you are in the story, it can have a totally different meaning to you. I'll, I'll tell you a story that once happened to me years ago in another lifetime I was sent to two hospitals on the same day two different hospitals same city same day for uh, an end-of-life issue and both in both cases I showed up and there was a husband an elderly husband who had just lost his wife of, of many years so in the first one I showed up and the guy is crying and that's not uncommon, but then he starts saying how, what am I going to do? Who's going to take care of me? And I was shocked. I was—I mean, obviously, he didn't say anything, but I was shocked that basically this guy was upset because, you know, now he's alone. Now, now he's got to fend for himself. So he's crying, but he was—it he, was completely selfish. Then later that same day, I went to a different hospital. Same type of situation. The guy was also crying. Um what did he say? He said it was the first thing he said confused me because he said he, he, he said she always wanted me to die first. So maybe they didn't have good shalom bias, right? But I just listened. So he said he she wanted me to die first. She she always said she didn't want to leave me alone. That I should be the one to have to be alone. And he was crying, he said, I hope that when she left, she didn't feel she was leaving me alone. So he was crying because he felt bad for his wife that maybe her last thoughts in this world were that she was abandoning her husband. And he felt bad that she would leave with that kind of guilt. So the first situation is a guy's crying, he lost his wife, because he lost something. The second one, the guy's crying. He wasn't crying about his loss. He was crying about the pain that he was afraid that his wife might have felt in her last moments. Two guys, almost identical situation, both crying, pretty much the same response, but two totally different kavanas intentions, why they were crying. One was... Selfish, and one was selfless. So, in every situation, you have to look at it like this. There's a complexity of you know, there are very few situations that only affect one person. There's many people affected by a situation. Do I have the the ability to distinguish? That the aspect of this situation that's causing my friend pain, I object to. And the aspect of the same exact situation that's causing me pain, I'm embracing. So one situation, two different reactions, depending on whether it's the part of it that's affecting you or it's affecting me. So, for instance, going back to the Holocaust, okay? a holocaust survivor is the only one who can find meaning in the holocaust the only one who can do it none of no one else can do it however however i'll give you an example where in a certain way not exactly but in a certain way someone who was not there can find a certain meaning not in the in the in, in the event itself but in the way that it affected them i remember one time i was talking to somebody and I don't know if this is the correct term, but basically there's such a thing as like a second generation survivor, third generation survivors. This trauma is carried, you know it's carried in in, in families. So there was somebody who was a child of survivors and grew up with certain fears and insecurity. Not that they were there, they weren't there. And even their parents were, were very small children and barely you know, had any memories of being there. But they grew up with a certain insecurity and fear. So they can't find meaning in what their parents went through. They can't find meaning in what their grandparents went through. I mean, their grandparents were, were murdered. Um, but they can find meaning in how that affected them right. second or third hand.
1: One of the most popular books out there is Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meeting. And if you've read the book, you, you've had to encounter exactly that. You're, you're borrowing the lesson which is, which is rooted in his, the meaning that he found in his experience in the camps. I mean it's a theory he had preceding that but the litmus test was 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 that experience and far be it from anyone to read it and say <laughs> right to put that because we don't have that right but we're no, like, but pop- what
0: can we do like you said about Garari's story you can tell his story because you have one of your own so you're not when you're telling his story you're not really telling it about his business loss you don't even know how big of a loss. You don't know the circumstances. You don't know what kind of agmas nefesh it caused him. That's not why you're telling the story. You're really telling the story about your own, it's code language for your own loss. So you read Viktor Frankl and it's not like, oh, now this, I, think I can find meaning in having been in Auschwitz. Well, you weren't in Auschwitz. So you can't find meaning in having been there because you weren't there. And you certainly can't find meaning in anyone else having been there. But what can you do? You can find, it can serve as a model for you and how it can relate to your life. You said there were two big themes that keep recurring. So this is one of them. What's the other one?
1: It's funny. Joe Biden has been in the news. He just had an uptick. But a few weeks ago, he, it looked like he was going out. Yeah. And there's been so many montages of his gaffes that are, are hilarious. Yeah. And painful and cringy at the same time. But actually, one of the gaffes they kept replaying and maybe it could be like a broken clock is is correct twice a day. He probably did it by accident, but he actually really stumbled upon, no pun intended, a real truism. <laughs> he said he was talking about environmentalism or something else and making taking a stab at Trump. And he said, "I believe, I believe we believe we believe in truth over facts." <laughs> uh, and I've whatever the context was, and they were kind of making fun of, of what, what that sounded like. But to me, it made perfect sense. I don't know if he meant it, but th- that um, there's facts and then there's truth. Uh-huh. And then we're talking about, you know, what may or may not be factual stories that aren't true stories, and then there's true stories that may or may not have happened. That's true. So my favorite story that illustrates it is is the story of parrots Muchkin, they invited him to febrang at at a yeshiva, uh, and and he he started sharing a story. And in the middle, someone cut him off and says, uh, uh-huh. "The Graber writes a story in, in his really memoirs, way, and, yeah. and it says there it de- So he said, um, "Why did you why did you invite me here? This is one of you who are younger and stronger could have stood up on a chair and in a louder voice just read it straight from the book, and you would have had the." exactly the correct story he says you probably invited me here because you you didn't want the factual story you wanted my experience of the story which is Uh, which is rooted in the way i
0: yeah the shmogarari story is not the shmogarari story it's how it affected you right that's why i want to hear it from you even though i heard it a hundred times because it has meaning to you it's not what happened to him, it's what happened to you that that story uh, is, is code word for. Right. So what, what, that, what about
1: that is, is an overriding theme. Maybe one of my biggest pet peeves and, and hangups uh, about growing up from, and it's a grievance, especially in Chabad, that is supposed to have a stronger appreciation of it being about the experience rather than the the technical thing, mm-hmm. um, is that, you know, there's... It's not my own grievance, a lot of people share it, is the you know, the, the lack of, of room for that. And more so than not to get into a whole... L- lack like,
0: of room for personal experience.
1: Uh, yes, and giving space for that to breathe and find itself. And that's an old thing, you know, not letting people be individuals and all that but it's more than that it's the how when it becomes apparent that that the fear of making space for that is is rooted in a mistrust and we pay lip service to right of being how can i let
0: you figure out what the story means to you when you might figure out something that i don't want you to figure out
1: Right, and then paying lip service to the fact that an Hashem is a and then so am a But you don't trust that. Eventually, in my own process, I'll find out what I need to find out. Mm-hmm. You need to spell it out for me, and then get really. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of a lot of that, and I, I I've had my own you know journey that that has brought a lot. Uh, that brought a lot of clarity, but in some ways, I'm still hung up on some of that, especially when I see reminders of that in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, so that's been uh, that's been another big theme. But going back to the, I, I am quite obsessed with with stories. They've had a, a real, um, I would say they they saved me uh, in in many ways, and from a very young age and and there's been thank god like a a big movement in the wider culture and, and and throughout our own community of starting to share stories personal stories in specific and and so that's that's been a big thing And trying to encourage people I, I try to get just people that aren't necessarily public figures but just everyone's got a story and people who are on the fence about about sharing those and, and not to play up the, the drama because that, that really isn't often, for the most part, where, where the, the real story is. It's, it's in between the lines. It's not, like you said, the, the drama, the sensationalism. Sometimes that can happen, and it kind of almost draws away from... Totally
0: draws you know. away. <laughs> so Skill have, you know. of, 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 of knowing how to spot a story is not to get caught up in drama. Not to get excited by the drama, because the drama usually is a red herring it's um It's not the real story,
1: and bringing it back to what we were talking about before it, it, it's an obstacle for that that appreciation of it in the way of for example, I often resist sharing certain details of traumatic episodes of my life because so often I'll have people. I'll share the whole thing and then my journey somewhat or somewhat of my journey after and how it came full circle and that I discovered who I am. And then the first thing they'll say is, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Right. Like right. You you're so sorry that I
0: found out who, <laughs> who you were. Yeah. They didn't hear that part. Yeah. They heard the drama. Right. So uh, that's why you have to be careful when you tell a story, you have to know who you're telling it to. Um, it's a, it's a skill to be able to not get. I mean, uh, you want to talk about storytelling? Hitchcock called it the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin is a plot device that keeps the story going, but it's really not necessary. You know, it's the thing the detectives are looking for, but the hook, yeah, but the audience doesn't even care what it is. It's just a way of moving the story along. Um, when you talk about true stories, there is very often the, the risk of... I mean, I think we like, we, like, we like stories that follow a formula. And therefore, there's a certain reduction that occurs where, oh, okay, so this is the conflict, and this was the resolution, and, um, yeah, very rarely is it that simple. And we miss the point. We miss the point. Uh, the best stories are uh, really not that exciting when you tell them. Stories that are excited, exciting to tell, a good campfire stories, generally, if you boil them down to what the, the real message was, they don't really have much message. But the stories that have real profundity, if you try to write it as like a, you know, write it up as a storyboard, you know, like uh, show me the action. Maybe there was no action at all. Most profound things are what people think an observation that someone makes something's totally subjective happens within somebody's mind you know there's no action nothing happened there's no car chase no portraits no dungeon no missing half of the locket no missed plane (sighs) yeah yeah I have I have a a very uh, love-hate relationship with storytelling because so much of my life is spent communicating. And I know that storytelling can be misused so effectively. And you have to have real integrity not to do it. Anyways, that's my own... I don't want to go off into my own uh, tangent. I want to hear about... uh, let's hear more about the the truth and the fact what's the truth and the fact what's the truth and what's the fact
1: hmm.
0: are you saying that the fact is the way it's written in Diburim. the truth is what it's got out of the story
1: i mean i was saying more truth or fact that you have you have stories that that technically add up but they're not true and then you have Okay, so the, there's an expression that if you believe all stories Baltham of the Baal then you're a fool. It never you, said this. Yes, yeah. I remember hearing yeah. that. Yeah. And, but if you deny even one, just to spell it out, that if you believe all the stories they say about the Baal you're a fool. If you deny even one, then you're an apikaris, you're a heretic. Why, right? Why would that be? Because obviously they didn't all happen. But the to to deny a story, to deny a story that has, that is true, in its meaning, is to deny everything. So it sounds like you're asking, though, other examples of seeing, distinguishing between fact and true. So fact is something really crappy to me, to say the least. Happened when I was twelve. The truth is everything that happened is exactly the way it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. The fact is uh, I pray that never happens to anyone. The truth is uh, I would never have that be taken away from me for all the money in the world. Uh, The fact is that I want... (laughs) that laptop that landed on my porch and the truth is i don't want anything not a thing or an episode or a house or a a life or a wife or 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 a thought process or or a a resolution that isn't my own Mm -hmm. so yeah I, i i didn't expect it to go there but i guess you said you said it always goes there
0: yeah so there's two places it always goes, every conversation. So what's the surprise? Now let me ask you a question. How are those two things one? The two things are what we think is bad may actually be the greatest good. That was one theme. The other theme was stories and the distinction between truth and fact. How are those really one thing? The two things are really one thing.
1: When someone says, I'm sorry that happened to you, they're hooked on the fact. Mm -hmm. They're keyed into the fact. They're living in a a fact world. Right. And I've had the blessing, Mm -hmm. perhaps because of the awful facts that I was given, to know that the truth is there's nothing to apologize for. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's, that's where they're one.
0: This is, this is the way that I've been thinking about it for a while is the difference between concrete and abstract. Okay. Um, concrete thinkers relate to things. So, you know, who were who the people? What did they say? Where did they go? Um, you know, very action-oriented. Elam um, HaMaisa. Abstract thinkers relate to ideas, so it's more about the meaning. You know, it's not so important what happened or who said what or the exact words. There's a, there's a message. There's a Musa Haskell. There's, a, you know, an, there's an idea behind the story. I'm. I'll use your lexicon because I, I, I think that that's parallel to, or maybe even synonymous with, fact and truth. The facts are what happened. Was it Tell me. You know, he needed to raise five hundred rubles. No, he needed to raise thousand rubles. It was Yom Kippur. No, it was Pesach. Right. Those are the facts. Then the, the, the truth is the lesson of the story. Now, you want to talk about a hierarchy of skills. Obviously, it's easier to relate to concrete things than it is to relate to abstract ideas. As When we're children, we start out, you know, we only relate to the concrete world. We know everything by putting it in our mouth. If mommy leaves the room, she doesn't exist, right? So we're very concrete. Or to use the language of Chassidus, we only relate to things for which we have hasugasamohus there's no such thing as yidiasamatsias you can't describe to me something with language that i've never seen or touched or felt or tasted or heard because you know i only relate to things things that are i relate to with my senses that's living in the world of the concrete as you develop then you can move into the world of abstraction where you can hear about things that you haven't experienced sensorially. And then you can go even higher. You can graduate to hearing about things that you cannot experience sensorially because they're purely spiritual. I find that when you talk to people, the reason you, you called it, they, they seize on the fact and they lost to the whole point, which was the truth. I have the same experience that they are grabbing onto the concrete aspect of the story, um, but not the abstract meaning. So people will remember that it was a story about a guy who went into a restaurant and ordered a corned beef sandwich. And they'll remember it was a corned beef sandwich and not a a pastrami sandwich. But if you'll ask them, yeah, and what was the lesson of the story? Why did I tell that story? I don't know, especially with a joke, by the way. Uh, I try to be good about never telling a joke that's not part of my point. I'm not there to distract you. Why would I tell a joke, even if you'll enjoy it, that wasn't building the point that I'm trying to make? So if I tell a joke, it's because the joke has a point, and the point was part of the argument that I'm making, right? Rhetorically speaking, I have a point. I'm trying to build that point. The joke was part of building that point. And, and many times you ask people, why did they tell that joke? They won't know. They won't know why, they, why you told that joke. Um, it, it's, it's a higher level skill. And unfortunately, it's not one that I think we spend enough time training people in. And uh, for that reason... People, you know, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt said that um, small minds talk about people and great minds talk about ideas. And and I've heard that quote in Jewish circles, usually decrying the ills of Lush and Hara, but I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the point of the quote. The point is there there are people who cognitively, they're not wicked, they're just cognitively predisposed to speaking Lush and Hoda because how are they supposed to talk about ideas? They talk about people because they relate to people. Ideas are harder to relate to, which is, by the way, the whole thing with political discourse in this country today. Nobody knows the thought process behind any political stance. They just know which side says what, and it's all professional wrestling today. And Who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? And you, You know, you're R or you're D, and you root for the side that you're for, and uh, to actually understand the, uh, you know, the reasoning that goes into the stance. People don't. You, know, you talk about low-information voters. Okay, information is one thing. You know, that's, that's fact. But what about truth? People might have a lot of information. They might watch the news all day, but they don't, they don't know how to think. If you would ask them, explain to me... The three most cogent arguments of the opposition. Hmm. Oh, well, they're stupid, okay. But they don't think they're stupid, so what are their three most cogent arguments? Even if you <laughs> think they're easy to defeat, tell me the three most cogent arguments, and then tell me the, the the refutation of each of those. They can't do it. They can't do it, because it's not about the ideas. It's about the, you know, it's about uh, basically you know being a Knicks fan. You know, so if 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 <laughs> if you're 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 rooting for this team, so then the players on your team are good, right? And then when they get you know if they get traded to another, <laughs> so if Daryl Strawberry leaves the Mets and he goes to the Dodgers, now we don't like him anymore, right?
1: I've uh I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak a lot, which is part of what makes this interesting to be sitting across from you because uh I've listened and read you a lot and. I definitely remember when you shared jokes that seem uh, out of context and like what that is, but th- at the end, it I was like, oh my god, that all really came together, uh, and it's it's really it's a remarkable ability. Uh,
0: it's not a remarkable it, ability. You just have to want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not remarkable at all. Um, you just have to actually care about that, right? And
1: not and not go for the
0: cheap shots, right? The easy laugh, right. They talk about that in, in
1: stand-up, you know. Yeah,
0: it's, it's it's easy to manipulate an audience, mm-hmm. make them laugh, make them cry. It's much harder to convince them right. of your truth. Yeah. And you have to have a certain amount of self-discipline. I'm not going to say things just because people will like to hear them. Mm-hmm.
1: So speaking of true jokes, so this
0: is the one about
1: therapists and his All first. jokes are true, by the way, because if they... <laughs> the if good they, ones.
0: No, if they, wouldn't, if they wouldn't be true, they wouldn't work. Right. They wouldn't be jokes. Right, the ones that actually are jokes. That the ones that are actual yes. jokes are all true. Right. That's right. what we're laughing at. That's what at. we're laughing at,
1: yeah. yeah. Ernie Kurtz give, gives a great example. He says, what is humor? What is a joke? Mm-hmm. He says, a homeless guy walks down the street, slips on a banana. Not funny. Nothing mm-hmm. funny about that. You got to be right. a real sicko to laugh at something like that," he says. "You know, finance guy in a three-piece suit with a top hat and umbrella slips on a banana. Hilarious, right. <laughs> right? Why? Because he thought he was a man in a three-piece suit running finance. He didn't realize he's pretty much just a homeless guy. Mm-hmm. There's nothing funny about about suffering." It's hilarious when we're laughing at ourselves that we thought we were in three-piece suits and nothing bad was supposed to happen. We were just kind of hobos expecting everything to be different and expecting ourselves to be more than we were. And we, you know, the the honesty, the self-reflective humor especially illustrates that, you know, uh kind of checking ourselves. And then when we have the opportunity of someone to do that, meaning they they pay the price to do that cuz they're revealing a a neurotic or a, or what ordinarily would be an embarrassing part of themselves but they we only get it because we have a little bit of that in ourselves you know anyway so a true joke that never happened is the a therapist on his first day on the job and then he's walking out after an exhausting day it's six o'clock and he meets the guy who works on the third floor, who's been a therapist for 45 years and is known, you know, so, and he says, uh, how do you do it? It's all day long to hear people pour out their kishkas to you and, and, and then you just go home and like, and the guy just looks at him and goes, who listens? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you clearly listen and uh, I, I expected to be asking you a bunch of questions, but you you listen and uh, yeah. I read some of your columns, and it's clear from your writing that you don't just listen, but you listen with, with a keen ear, that, and you tend to hear things that sometimes people didn't even realize they were saying. Um, yeah, and are they able
0: to? They they're, they're perseverate on the fact, not mm-hmm. on the truth. Mm-hmm. They tell you a bunch of facts mm-hmm. that are unnecessary because if you listen mm-hmm. to anybody's story, Within the first five minutes, you know the pattern, and they're going to repeat it, and they're going to say the same thing 100 times over. Mm-hmm. But so the, 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 the trick is hearing the truth that they tell you and then waiting until they're all done talking mm-hmm. and then saying it back to them, and then they think you're a genius. <laughs> but you're not. You just told them right. what they told you. Right. Without all the facts. <laughs> exactly. Right. Because the facts is just stuff that happened. That's boring. Who cares about that? The truth is the meaning of it all. Right.
1: You're saying they usually drop the truth somewhere in the beginning,
0: and then the rest is just a repeat of that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They drop the truth, like, nonchalantly, in between, mm-hmm. tedious, boring doses of right. fact. So you listen. So I how can't help it? it. I can't help but to listen. Mm-hmm. The only way to not listen is to, to go away, which I I do that. You know, I isolate because I get exhausted. I get empathy fatigue. I can't buffer it. If I'm around somebody and they're talking, I can't not pick up on the energy. So um, I, you know, I'll just go away from people. You know, I... I <sighs> I flew on a private jet for the first time last week. And it was was supposed to be this awesome experience, but then I realized it wasn't because I knew everyone on the plane. So on a regular commercial flight, you don't know anyone, you're not expected to talk to anyone. Although for me, the most painful thing in, in traveling is when two strangers who are gregarious and social, sitting right behind you, decide to strike up a conversation and converse. I've, I've, I've experienced this uh, you know, dozens of times where two strangers will just start chatting with each other the whole time, like for a three-hour flight. And I don't even understand why it's comfortable to converse on a plane. It's loud. There's these jet engines outside. And your ears are, are you know, the cabin pressure. You can't hear properly. And, and yet there'll be certain types of people that they will enjoy this. They'll just converse with each other the whole time time um but generally uh, people don't converse with strangers so you have a reprieve from that but then I was flying on a private jet everyone knew each other so there was social interaction going on the whole time It was not relaxing so anyways I'm just telling you it's not that I I'm like being uh, such a mensch by listening to people no 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 <laughs>
1: I didn't assume that.
0: <laughs> no. So um,
1: for whatever reason, and you're uh, going to shame yourself for the 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 lowest possible motive, but I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it's not only that. But um, that you can't that you simply can't help it. And, and anyway, but uh, but you if do you listen. Wanna, for, if you
0: want to give me any credit, credit me with doing it. In, with 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 healing intentions and not, mm-hmm. God forbid, in a negative way, because that can be misused. The voyeuristic type uh, getting. Oh, up. worse than that. Worse than that. People want to be understood. They want to be known. If you give somebody that validation, they'll do anything you tell them to do. So, which which is evil. Um, so if you want to give me any credit, just say that when I hear people and I, and I hear their truth and I, and I pick up on things that they don't know they know about themselves and which they will value hearing about themselves, that my intention is only, um, that it should be beneficial and it should be freeing. It should be liberating and it should foster their growth. Um, that's, by the way, why I send people away from me all the time. People say, "Oh, can can I come and uh, can will you counsel me? Will you? Can I?" No, please. I and mean, you want to talk to me one time? We can talk one time. I don't want. I don't want you to think I'm the gatekeeper to any type of truth. I, I don't want that relationship. If you want to come talk to me once and. I can hear what you say, and then I'll say it back to you, and it helps things click. You know, as a one-time thing, great. But uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so if you want to give me a compliment, you should mm-hmm. that I don't that I don't that I don't use this talent in a manipulative way. Although you'd have to be a pretty low, you'd have to be a pretty big lowlife. Well, to it, use it in a manipulative way, but right. it, but it happens, and I've right. seen it. I've seen
1: it. Well, it's more than than someone being a low life to use it in a manipulative way and then it's more than it's not just that and then it's actually that it's not only not that but it's also the desire the genuine desire to, to to offer whatever healing possible but then there's another thing and that is holding a space that doesn't allow someone to feed into having someone else to become their savior and kind of giving them the space to discover how they already knew what they needed to hear themselves. Mm-hmm. That's, that's more unique. Um.
0: Yeah, but that's, if you're smart, even, even if even if you're not so selfless, even if you're not so sensitive, if just common sense dictates that you can't tell anybody anything they don't already know, not, I'm not talking about fact, I'm talking about truth. You can tell people facts that they don't you know, know yet. You can't tell them truths that they don't know yet. If they haven't arrived at a certain truth through their own thought process, you could tell them a thousand times, they will never hear it. But what you can do is, if you want to you know, seem really, really bright, you wait for people to tell you truths that they don't realize that they know, and you tell them back to them, and then they say, Wow, that's so deep. And and if you want, you could let them give you credit. But if if you're good, what you really do is you say, Well, can I tell you something that might surprise you? I'm just repeating back to you something that you told me. And then, you know, if they don't believe you, prove it to them. Because at the end of the day, what good is it gonna do if they're impressed yeah. with you? Yeah. What's gonna do good is if they realize that um they have this ability within them and it's kind of what you were talking about before about you know giving people the ability or giving them the the freedom to find out you know what something means to them and you called it you know trusting that they have a elikami mal right so trusting that I, and I, I put it as saying trust them that they have a a, a unique relationship with Hashem and they're, that they're going to discover spiritual truths if spiritual truths are really as true as 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 we claim them to be then what are you afraid? why wouldn't they discover it on their own? So trust that there's a certain um, intuition especially you're talking about a Jew uh, they will find. They will find the truth, and it's much more powerful that way. You can teach people facts; that's fine. You know, like if you wouldn't tell me what fillin are, I wouldn't dream of it on my own, right? So, I I would like you to tell me what it is. Um, but meaning is a lot harder. You know, meaning is a lot harder to transfer. Meaning has to be based on experience, personal experience. Right? Ze Kaili, Van Veo, Aleke Ovi, Varem So there's Kaili, the God of my experience. There's Aleke avi, the God of my father. They're both important, but they're two different things. Or there's, like Shlomo Melech was told by his father, David. Da is personal experience. But it's the God of your father. It's not personal experience. It has to be both. But you cannot transfer to someone else your personal experience. By definition. Personal experience. In other words, Let's go back to the Shmulgarari story. That story is only meaningful when you tell it because you have your own version of that story. And whatever truth that story has, you didn't learn it from that story. You learned it from life. And then when you heard the story, you said, aha, it's describing something I'm already aware of.
1: It's part of the price of doing business. I mean, the line that you're in. People are gonna come over to you after and they're gonna bear their souls? I
0: don't know if it see, this is my constant complaint. I never told anybody that I could fix their problems and should they should tell me about their problems. hmm People assume that's my job. Say, well, why can't they pay you to do this? Because it's not my job. Well, what's your job? It's not my job. Mm-hmm. And my job's not to listen to people's problems. Right.
1: Well, it's a it's a big a major misconception that healing in terms of like some kind of emotional or anything like that, a therapeutic thing, has anything to do with delivering concepts or ideas, and they go to a therapist. Ex- on the, the reverse side, they but, go to a therapist right. for healing, and they expect him to say these wise things. Exactly. You know? They want the therapist <laughs> to not say you're... wise things, right. and then they want the rabbi to be right. a therapist. Right. Right, 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 My job
0: is not to, to figure
1: but, out anybody's problem or right. the solution. Is that an uncomfortable position to be, to tr- yeah. someone trying to make you their
0: guru? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot of different uncomfortable positions, but I feel like it's self-indulgent for me to talk about. Why? What, Why? I mean, you do the reverse all the time, so like... Yeah, well, you know, yeah, that's right. true. Right. I listen to people complain all the time. <laughs> okay, let me complain. <sighs> well, I'll tell you something I hate. When two gregarious strangers behind me in a plane strike up a conversation for three hours. Did right. I ever tell you that? Yeah.
1: Oh. It, I, I, happened to, I didn't say it, but... It, pet peeve of mine it's like real real white man problems right there when <laughs> when it's not enough it's one thing to say this annoying guy in the elevator wants to talk to me no no they're uh, talking nebuch, to each other nebuch a nice guy behind me is indulging another guy who wants right. to
0: talk and how dare they be behind exactly. me Exactly. <laughs> not only they're not even talking to me they're talking within earshot of right. me and that itself yeah 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 see that's why i don't talk about my problems <laughs> right people like you judge (laughs) me. yeah okay what else grinds your gears um there's a lot of stuff you know you know i'll tell you people come to me all the time They, they they have the temerity to say are all the letters real in the army column i tell them you know what not only are they real and I know what they mean. They, they can't believe there's, there are that many problems going on in the world. I tell them, not only are those letters real, you should see the letters that they won't allow me to answer in the magazine. I mean, most of the letters, they're not going to let me touch those issues publicly. So much going on. I heard a vote. I was in, uh, well, it doesn't matter where I was. I was in a, in a place and uh, I was talking to the uh, I don't even remember how it came up but I was talking to the Rav of that particular shul and he told me a story he said that there was a Malkaira who was going to lane Eichel for Tisha and the Rav of the shul told him no, the Rav has to lane Eichel so they couldn't agree, so they wanted to the Shmuel And they asked him what to do. He said, L-a kriya satayra, migilla, You know, that's, that's you need a balker. But when it comes to Eicha, the Rav is the one who feels the pain of the Kehila. The Rav is the one who must to lay Eicha. <sighs> There's a there's a lot there's a lot of pain out there. There's a lot of people going through all types of stuff. All I can say in a public forum like this is, if you don't know, I'm happy, and I hope you never know. If you do know the pain that's out there because you or a loved one is going through it, you should know there are many, many more with you, and we're with you in spirit. And uh, when Mashiach comes, you know there's going to be a lot. The Rebbe said since he was a child he was looking forward to Mashiach, partially because it's going to answer all of the the pain and suffering for all the millennia, and we're going to say Idcha Hashem to be.
1: One last question because I know it's already getting
0: late. We've been. It's but saying the is my condition. Nobody realizes it's four thirty in the morning right now.
1: Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool that we're. It isn't four thirty, and we're actually doing this. Isn't normal. Yeah, assignment. but you'll be awake at four <laughs> thirty. Yeah. <laughs> now you're my neighbor, so I could come and be annoying and give you my traumatic stories at uh, four uh-huh. in the morning. Uh, okay, so so you listen and you hear that kind of pain, and that pain that is often the most painful is not the the cancer; it's the man made stuff. In, Things, the the gratuitous suffering that's surrounding us, and that's not unique to any community or Jewish community at large or any specific from community that you're speaking to or engaging with. Nami magazine that's throughout the world. Yeah, but you're you're a man of faith, maybe a suffering man of faith or whatever that is. I'm saying you're a real person, <laughs> but but you are a man of faith. How does that not shake you when? Of course, there's, there's truth and then there's people, right? And, and we're human beings and we're fallible and everything. But at a certain point, shouldn't this truth that our, is, our entire lives are inundated with from birth, we're going to shoal every Shabbos, people are going to shul three times a day, they're learning, they're, shouldn't it penetrate to a degree that we are not as saturated with this kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if and if yes then what do you do when that isn't the case what kind of conclusions do you come to or not particularly how you as an individual deal with that because you're 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 on the forefront of of hearing those things
0: yeah it's a good question first of all uh just because people have better better tools for dealing with things doesn't mean that they have they don't have the same problems in life that others have. So I know plenty of people who, because of their faith and their relationship with Hashem, they really do have a lot stronger tools for for living, but they. <laughs> They also have this, it's gullus is gullus, you know, they still have the same issues in life that everybody else has. Maybe they just cope with it better. You know, there's an old saying that there are two kinds of people in the world, normal people and people who you actually know. You know, it's like when you're trying to make a shidduch, it's always the family from Australia that seems okay, right? Because the family from down the block, they're Meshagoyim, right? They're crazy people. The family from Australia is also crazy. You just don't know, you know, the benefit of knowing everybody's got their issues, right? What's the difference? The only difference is the people who deal with it better. So, you know, if you're going to say, well, this happened, this happens. Yeah, everything happens everywhere. Question is how well people deal with it. Right. But at a certain point,
1: tools that aren't working are, you got to start doubting the tools. Meaning, well, that's a wait, 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 wait. Yeah, that's, that's a different question. Yeah, well, there is some of that as well. Meaning, it's like, don't blame the mechanism. The mechanism works; it could be perfect, but if it isn't working, maybe the like there's a reason for that. And what meaning at a certain point it has to say something about the tool because you know, tools that work work.
0: Well, I, what you're describing, I think I know what you're describing and if we just continue u- using metaphorical language what i'd say is the, the problem there has nothing to do with the lack of tools it has a, has to do with the lack of training so you know imagine somebody I, who inherits a set of, of finely crafted tools but was never taught how to use them
1: no you're right there a, there's a certain point where there it, is
0: a, there is a crisis of lack of training of lack of training how to actually Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Gemara says, that the Eivishter says about, uh, he says, I created this this problem called uh, the evil inclination, which is implanted within your psyche, and it's going to derail your life or attempt to do so. But I created Teira as a remedy, as a medicine for, for dealing with that. Okay, so the, the Tavlin, the, the remedy exists. There's the medicine and then there's the art of healing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how to administer the medicine. Right. So, you know, the pharmacy is stocked. The question is how many people are trained mm. in so, mm-hmm. actually administering it.
1: Right. So the Tsukorodich like said, you know, you, you put all the truth in the books right. and then you put all the enticing, you know... Mm-hmm. It, pitfalls of life right in front of us on the street and you expect us to to find the truth you know reverse it and maybe would have a fighting chance right. so so there's something within the point the the connection point between making the case for what's in the books showing how that isn't you know um here and it's not crazy out there it's it's real and it could be attractive and inviting and there doesn't have to be this unhealthy sense of separation between you know the guy i'm in business with and then you know the the tarot i'm reading when i go to shul an hour later and and my neighbor who happens to be my wife or child and and the you know the guy I'm giving tzedakah for in Australia or whatever it is, right. So that, 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 that uh, connection point, like that's where the, there's something fractured.
0: It says What does that mean? It's better to hang around somebody than to listen to them talk. Right. Because ultimately, it's not about the information. It's about how the information comes to life. Mm. If you see somebody else who's applying it in his life, you see how he lives, mm. then that's a model for you. Mm. So yeah. we, we need more of that. We're modeling less. We have tons of information. Today, yeah. you know, that Eva spoke about how, how today the information, the Hafatsis Mayonis, is unprecedented, right? And, uh, and the Rebbe spoke, well, you, don't, you don't even need the mashka so much anymore because the chassidus is so abundant and whatever you need. And, and, and the, the, you know, when the Rebbe was saying, that was before even, you know, today with the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything you want, it's at the, the tip of your fingers, right? Mm-hmm. So information, we have plenty of information. But, um, you know, there's, there's no shu, there's no food shortage in the world. There is enough food, and and by the way, that's a chiddish, because in the 70s they Mm -hmm. thought that there was going to be, there was not enough arable land. Mathematically, there wasn't enough, and then there was this Green Revolution. That's a whole other story. But getting it to them. Ah, food distribution. So there's no food shortage. There's enough food in the world to feed 7 billion, 8 billion, however many more will, will be, there's enough. But there are problems with food distribution. People die of starvation because they couldn't get the food to the people. Mhm. So that that's that's And the
1: and the, the distribution here you're saying is the modeling. Mentorship and modeling. Yeah. You know, I noticed recently increasingly so that I started doing a lot of the things I noticed my father did in terms of yiddishkeit random customs little things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have a hard time with doing the things that he and others told me to do (laughs) but Mm -hmm. i just ran i'm just like observing it like all of a sudden i I just find myself doing that thing i'm like you don't even do that but you're doing this i was like i kind of like the way i just noticed my father used to do that Mm -hmm. and never told me about it Mm
0: -hmm. because that was the truth Mm -hmm. that was what he was doing that's what he was living with right but uh you know you tell somebody to do something that's a fact
1: Mm -hmm. and usually we tell things that we need to kind of convince ourselves because they're not our own, and kind of we, we can kind of tell ourselves through telling someone else. So like if we're modeling something, chances are we got it, meaning it's, it's, it's part of us, because you can't give what you haven't got. Right. So it sounds like even before the modeling, there's another step of something becoming one with the individual so they don't have to tell it.
0: Meshpim, ask Rabbi what, what chsidus should we teach the Talmudim? Yeshivas," he said. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he didn't answer. us he said, "Whatever you want." No, that's not what he said. He said he answered you. He said, "Bemakim shulibei chafitz." If you have a kach in a mimer, that's the mimer you should teach. If you don't have a kach in a mimer, please, by all means, do not teach my son a mimer mm-hmm. that you're not kaching in, because <laughs> he'll only have a chance to hear that mimer once, yeah. for the first time. Okay, and if he hears it the first time from somebody who, for whatever reason, you're not living with it, you're not excited about it, don't don't make that his first time being exposed to it. Whatever you have a kachin, teach that. Why? Because that's something where you have truth more than not just just, not just fact. Yeah. All the great mashpiyam they had their focus. Why did they have a focus? Mm. Why? Because you have to know your limitations. Ultimately. You have the thing that you cough in, okay. So give that over. Transmit what you have. Don't try to transmit what you don't have.
1: One thing: how to how to make something your own, so that hopefully then you can model instead of telling.
0: Oh, you're asking me? Yeah. Um, hashkacha pratis, really. Everything's from Hashem. One of the, one of your themes, you know. The we don't know what's good for us. Um, really, you know, just. Trying to be humble and remember, you know, I I don't know, I don't know, I cannot judge. If Hashem, if Hashem is doing it, it it's got to be good, and I don't have to be able to see it. You know, I don't have to see it a week from now, a month from now. I, it's 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 not good because I see it being good. It's good because it's good. I think that's. I mean, for me, everything comes back down to that comes to that, you know, that equanimity, that uh, just acceptance, acceptance. You know, shkochal protest ultimately means acceptance.
1: So, to close, acceptance and find the truth within your facts.
0: Yeah.
2: He got the In in He got the In He got the In He got Mir da ja, in der alten hm. have days wo die Geist, jetzt, immer, wo die the have days I've said the guys if that I'd be, we'll see you Maybe whatever you are going through now is the reason that you are here. Maybe whatever you are going through now is the reason that you are here. I'm sure of whatever I'm going through.